good, church? Y'all doing all right? Everybody awake? Got your coffee in you? Yes? No? Maybe so? All right, well, it's good to see you. Uh, man, what an awesome day today has been already. First service was incredible. Um, before we dig into the message this morning, uh, just a couple of notes to kind of piggyback off of Catherine and announcements is one, for all the women in the night, or in the night, Boy, that sounds scandalous. Ladies of the evening. Oh, wow. Don't tweet that, please. All right. Uh, Thursday night, we are having women's night. That's a lot better. Okay. Uh, right here at our campus on Thursday night, 630 to 830, dessert and coffee. And so all the ladies in the room uh, would love for you to attend. Um, what a better way. It's not a Bible study. There's no hidden agenda. It is just to eat some yummy dessert and drink some coffee and get to know one another. We have, um, as a church, seen a lot of new guests. And so um, it's a great way to connect. You'll see a QR code on the screen. So I'll give you some time. Get your phone out. Point your camera at it. You can um, RSVP there. That will just help to, us to know um, we have enough dessert and coffee because uh, there's nothing worse than showing up to a dessert party and running out of dessert. Can I get an amen? Okay. So, um, so anyway, be, uh, be doing that. And then also a second, this quick announcement is, and I'm, I'm, this is not happening till the first week of August, but I'm giving y'all plenty of runway and heads up in this. But in August, the very first Sunday, we are adjusting our service times. So our service times are going to change and they're going to be at 10 o'clock and 1115. Unless you are extremely late every Sunday, and then they're not changing, okay? So just continue to come at 1110 or whatever, all right? Um, but no, we're going to be changing. If you remember, pre-COVID, we had a certain set of times, and then uh, COVID happened. And so post-COVID, we adjusted a little bit to give us space and more time in between services to clean and sanitize and all that. So we are adjusting. So it'll be 10 and 1115. And I forgot, I totally forgot to say this first service, but... Um, if uh, probably it might not apply to this crowd, but maybe it does, I don't know, is that as we continue, and especially this um, service continues to fill up, um, we will then, we'll kind of play it by ear, but our next progressive step will be to have an 845 service. So if you're like, yeah, okay, um, that, that's good. We'll, we'll do that at some point. We'll let you know, but that's kind of naturally our progression. So anyway, those are some announcements. Y'all ready to dig into God's word? Let's do it. Um, if you are new, um, my name's Dustin, by the way. I'm the teaching pastor here and get the honor to, uh, to lead this campus and just be a part of the teaching team. And, and we really value live teaching. I know a lot of times guests are like, oh, it's not on video. Pleasantly surprised. And so um, hopefully I don't scare you off. And hopefully you're like, that was actually decent. Um, if, you, if, if not, um, you can email somebody else. Just don't email me. Okay. So uh, this morning, we are, if you've been here, we have been walking through this series called Counterfeit Gospel and essentially addressing things that are really cultural lies um, in our world that for somehow along the way, over time, they have been adopted into the Christian faith. So we have tackled things like the very first week, um, we kind of attacked uh, what we call the American gospel, that it's really all about you. It's about uh, life is about what you make of it and what you take from it. So we addressed that lie. The second week, we looked in this idea. You probably have heard this statement. Uh, God helps those who help themselves, not in scripture. And so we tackled that last week was the statement, just follow your heart. We hit on that. 
And uh, I'm not naive enough to think this, but I know that as we've walked out of the last, this is the fourth week, we walk out of these messages on Sunday, it's not the most inspiring passage in the world. You know, it's not like you leave here and you're like, man, I feel so good about myself, you know? Let's go celebrate over, you know, uh, Mexican, you know, and chips and salsa or something. You know, it's hard. And the reason it's hard is because many of these things, these cultural lies, these counterfeit gospels are man-centered. They have us at the center of all of these things. And so when we address it and we look at Scripture to address um, and, and talk about the lie, it's, it addresses it personally. And it really shows, and at the end of the day says, hey, I don't have what it takes. When, you, when we have points in the message, like, okay, the week of uh, God helps those who help themselves, and we say there's no way you can help yourself because you're sick, all right, because of sin, that's a hard pill to swallow. It's hard to leave here and be like, I am sick, you know, <laughs> you know. And then last week, follow your heart. It's like, hey, don't follow your heart. It's deceptive and wicked, Scripture says. And so they're really, really difficult to tackle. But I think it's so good for us to be able to articulate and to know and not buy into these counterfeit gospels that are being thrown at us every single day of our life. And, and so what we're going to look at uh, this morning is tackling the counterfeit gospel or the lie that says everyone who's good or being good gets you into heaven, that all good people go to heaven. We're going to address that. That is not in scripture. It is in opposition to God's word. And I think kind of I'm going to lay out, I'm going to do some things a little bit differently. So don't judge me um, that I don't dig right into scripture this morning. I want to lay some some foundational tracks, if you will. But I think probably one of the most um, problematic epidemics in Christianity is what I would call what many people would call cultural Christianity. And here's what I mean by cultural Christianity. Cultural Christianity is really people who claim to be Christians, but yet it's very non-committal. It's very surface level in their faith. It's not um, uh, evident in their life, um, not all the time, but most of the time that that Christ is at the center, that they worship Jesus. And so in a lot of the ways, it is Christian by culture, not by conviction. Meaning, culturally speaking, they believe, hey, God's important. Church is important. I believe in Jesus. I believe in things like prayer should be in school. Uh, I love nativity scenes. I, I, church is important. Maybe not as important as the lake house and the beach time, but it's important uh, christening my kids and baptizing them and dedicating them at an early age is a value. Cultural Christians take Christian trad traditions really, really serious. But if you were to really deep go deep down in it, cultural Christianity is just surface level. There really is no commitment. They, they know the words to amazing grace, but they couldn't tell you why it's so amazing. Are you following me? All right. And so this is a huge epidemic in our world because it's just culturally speaking, not by conviction. And what ends up happening is this blurred line between these two ideas of doing good or being good and being holy, of doing good things, having um, and performing religious actions, if you will, then having a relationship with Jesus. And so these lines are blurred in our world. And so what ends up happening for cultural Christianity is that Jesus is no longer just a personal uh, relationship figure, but is more of a 
what I would say some historical, almost imaginary magician that appear, can make things appear and disappear. For instance, if I just say this, this prayer or, or this Hail Mary, then God will make what I'm asking appear and the struggle and the difficulty that I'm in. If I pray this prayer, it will disappear. And that's pretty much it. There is no re- relationship with Jesus beyond that for the cultural Christian. And so these lines are blurred. And what ends up happening is over time, we put ourselves, especially in America, in the driver's seat that says, hey, if I am good, then I can get to heaven. You know, I don't know if you were raised that way. I was raised that just be a good person and you will get into heaven. Now, in 2018, this is so interesting. In 2018, the Pew Research Group, huge nationwide, actually worldwide survey group, they surveyed a lot of uh, adults in America, and 80% of Americans in in the study said that they would say they believe in God. Now, of the 80%, 70% said and identified as Christians or practicing Christians, but here's the staggering statistic. Out of the 80% that said they believe in God, 56% of them said that they believed in God of the Bible. So essentially what you're saying is the other almost, almost half say they believe in God, but they have distorted the God of the Bible and they just believe in a God that they've kind of made up or have at least um, picked what they liked and what they didn't like to say, this is what God looks like for me. And that to me says that they're saying the God of the Bible is not fully relevant. It's not completely true. And so that is a very dangerous place to be. And so Out of that, what is birth in cultural Christianity with that thinking are people who claim Jesus, but their actions don't meet their their words. And it's this very surface level. And and I think this is a huge problem in the world that we live in is that non-believers cannot see a difference between believers and non-believers. That it is like this blurred line. And so they would say, well, why should I even follow Jesus? I know a Christian, quote, and their lives don't look any different than this person over here. And it, culturally speaking, it's just that at the surface. And then on the other hand, it is extremely difficult to tell someone who thinks they are a Christian by culture that they really, through Scripture, are not a Christian. That's a sensitive and delicate endeavor. I don't know if you've ever went to somebody and said, you know what, you're actually not a Christian. Try it and see what happens, okay? It is hard. But we live in this world where those lines have become blurred. And really, we have gotten to a place. Let me try to articulate this well. We have gotten to a place in culture when it comes to Christianity that we as individuals attempt to define morality and eternity and what it looks like. And that's very, very dangerous. And so I want to Go to our first point before getting to the scripture because I think it's important. So if you're taking notes, here's the first point, no-brainer. Everyone spends eternity somewhere. When you and I die, and research does show 100% of us are going to die, okay? I don't know if you knew that, but just throw that in your back pocket, all right? But 100% of us are going to die, and when we do, we will spend eternity somewhere. That you can look at even ancient religions, other religions other than Christianity believe in the afterlife. Now, how you get there, okay, that, that's where it differs. 
But in the Christian faith, we, and really in our world, we know, hey, when you die, you're going to spend eternity somewhere. Now, in the Christian faith, we would say that's either heaven or hell. That is clear in Scripture. And so while, you, while that is in, in front of us, we have decisions to make here on earth of how we are going to live our life. We see Paul says this, uh, I'm sorry, the writer of Hebrews says this, that just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Now, here's where we mess it up big time. And this is, once again, us trying to define morality, spirituality, and eternity, because I've never met a person that's eager and wants to go to hell. And so because of that, we all tend to bend towards our default being heaven. And our default, I've said this a million times, our default is not heaven as human beings. Our default is hell. But here's how we justify it. We're all really, really good people, and so we all go to heaven, and it's the really bad people that go to hell. You probably have heard this, maybe even thought it. So I know at times I have conversations with people, and it's like, hey, we're all good. It's the really, really bad people that go to hell. So people like Hitler and Putin, the rapists, the murderers, the sexual pedophiles, those are the people that go to hell. They're really, really bad. But because I stole a candy bar from Food Lion when I was eight, doesn't mean I'm going to hell, okay? And we justify it this way. But if you look at scripture, it's actually the exact opposite. We are all determined and destined to go to hell because of our sin. We do not deserve heaven. There is nothing about your life and my life that deserves heaven. There's nothing. And so we're all bad because of sin. And that sin has separated us from a holy, perfect God. The only way that we can get to heaven is through Jesus. It's clear. He is the one that paid the price, that paid the debt. So when you and I die and we stand before God and scripture says that we must give an account. Now, let me clarify what that means. I think for some of us, that means, okay, we're going to stand before God and we're going to say, hang on, God. Okay, I'll tell you why you should let me into heaven. Let me get my shopping list out, you know, and you whip out some piece of paper and you're like, now, when I was 13, I prayed this prayer. When I was 15, I, I won Bible drill. You know, it was awesome. But can we skip over 18 and 21? Because those just were the dark days, okay? And then let's pick up. I started a family. We went to church, all these things. It's not going to be like that, okay? God's not stupid. He doesn't need you to remind him of the things that you did in your life. When you have to give an account, here's the simple question. And, and really, it's either you know Jesus or you don't. You have a relationship with Jesus or you don't. And so we cannot base our eternity, eternity forever on some skewed definition that we've made up of being good. And here's how I would argue that. If you think, or if someone that you come in contact with says, being good gets you into heaven, then I would say a couple questions. Okay, what is good enough? And who is good enough? Because it can't be a moving target. Because what Hitler and Putin is doing right now, he thinks is great. So if, if that's the standard, then we're all great. You know, we're all good. But it's not the standard. The standard is God's word. He is the one. Even if you remember a couple weeks ago, when the man comes to Jesus and says, good teacher, Jesus says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. Well, you and I are not good. Paul says in Romans that 
Um, no one is righteous. No, not one. So you might be like, well, that seems really harsh, Dustin. You're going you're gonna to stand before God when you die and he's going to send good people to hell. Here's what I'm saying. There is no such thing as a good person. Now, there's this thing that theologians would call common grace that, yes, we have some parts of goodness inside of us, this moral law that's written on all of our hearts that we know right from wrong, that God, we're not as bad as we could be type mentality. But even then, that doesn't get us or guarantee us heaven. And so being good does not give you salvation. Paul says this in Acts chapter 4. He says, There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by, by which we must be saved. And so here's the idea. Point number one, we all spend eternity somewhere. And here's the deal. At the end of the day, you cannot be good enough to earn your way into heaven. It's not by your name. It's not by someone else's name. God is not going to be up there and you say, well, you know what? Uh, you know, my dad and my granddad, they were Southern Baptist preachers. That's got to count for something. It's not. It is up to you. And in that, it is you following and deciding to be obedient to the Lord because you're going to spend eternity somewhere and our sin separates us and we need Jesus in that. So salvation only comes through Jesus. So let's dig into kind of the, the meat of this is that we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7. And in this, Jesus is addressing this whole tension of doing religious things and knowing and having a relationship with God. Churchy um, cliche is relationship over religion, okay? That's where we're going. And so in this, I love how Jesus addresses this because in his most famous sermon, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he's in the tail end of it. He's on the hillside. Tons of people are listening. They're from all walks of life. They're probably spiritually speaking, trying to figure things out. There's some people that have been devout Jewish believers for a long time. And Jesus is addressing in this sermon, hey, you've heard it said, but I'm here to tell you this. And he's walking through this. And in chapter seven, getting to where we're at this morning, Jesus paints these four incredible scenes to really show and to bring clarity to how to inherit uh, the kingdom of God and how to inherit heaven. Here's what he does. The first scene he shows, he talks about, paints this picture of a wide and uh, versus a narrow gate. You probably have heard this. He says, wide is the gate that leads to destruction and many will go through it. So essentially he's like, hey, there's this wide gate. It's the easy path. A lot of people won't choose me. They won't choose following Jesus and it's gonna lead to destruction. But he says, narrow is the gate that leads to life. That many people, it's easy to choose yourself and choose the world than Jesus. So he paints that picture. Then he goes, the next scene, he talks about a tree and its fruit. And he compares a diseased tree and a healthy tree. He says, the diseased tree will be thrown into the fire. But the tree that is healthy produces good fruit. Essentially, this idea is um, that once we have a relationship with Jesus, our lives should produce good fruit. The good works are an outflow of our relationship with Jesus and his grace. So we see that. Then third, the third scene is what we're going to look at today. This really, this tension between doing good things and knowing who God is. And then lastly, he closes his sermon with this illustration. You probably have heard of this, of building your house on a solid rock. That when 
The rain comes, when the wind blows, your house is on a solid foundation. It's not going anywhere. And he says, do not build your house on the sand because it will shift. That when the, the rain comes and the wind blows, it will be destroyed. So it needs to be on something solid and truth-filled like God and his word. And so let's read this passage, chapter 7 of Matthew, the very first gospel in the New Testament. And we're going to read these three verses uh, verses 21 through 23. Jesus says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? Now get this, verse 23. I feel like this is like the most sobering, gut-punch passage of Scripture in all of the New Testament. Jesus says, And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Man, whew, that's a hard pill to swallow. Now remember, Jesus is talking to the religious do-gooders, you know? They had the Old Testament memorized. They knew the ways of Jewish customs and, and rituals and the culture and what you're supposed to do and not do, how you're supposed to dress, what you're supposed to eat, what you're not supposed to eat. They knew all of those things. And Jesus uses this illustration to really hone in on a relationship with Jesus. And so the second point this morning, if you're taking notes, is that good works without a relationship with Jesus are meaningless. And you'd be like, what? Doesn't make sense. Now think about this. Good works without a relationship with Jesus are meaningless. Now think about this, okay? This is how I'm going to unpack this this morning, is that I could go to Africa and I could live there for the next year. And I could do some good things. I could drill a well and, and help provide water for a village in need. Man, that is awesome right? That's needed. But if I have relationships with those people and I tell the people, hey, this is why I'm here. I'm building this thing so you can have some water. That's a good deed. But I'm there and I never tell anybody about Jesus. What a shame and a wasted opportunity to not really point them to, while this water might quench your thirst temporarily or whatever, and not tell them about salvation and really the water that Jesus even said that where they would never thirst in a relationship with him, it is meaningless. And so we like to puff ourselves up like, I'm a good person. I do good things. I donate to the church. I help people. I, I even gave $5 to the man at the corner of Woodruff Road in 85 and 385. You know, felt really good coming out of Sam's or Costco, whatever. And that's great. Man, I think we should do that. I'm not saying don't do that, but at the end of the day, it should all point to the reason why we do that is because of Jesus. And in this illustration, you have this group that says, didn't we do this? We did all of these things in God's name, but yet the relationship was missing. Now, to be quite frank, step on your toes because it steps on mine. 
is that if we were to put this in a modern context, if we were going to take their petitions, if you will, and for them to say, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we heal people in your name? Didn't we prophecy in your name? If we were to put that in a, a modern context for believers in 2022, here's how it would sound, okay? It would sound like this. Didn't we go to church on Sundays? Didn't we say grace before meals? Now, I'm always, every time I think of saying grace, I'm reminded of Christmas vacation, you know? And it's like, say grace. And it's like, grace, she died 20 years ago. No, the blessing. You know what I'm talking about? And she's like, I pledge allegiance to the flag. Great, you know, whatever. That's like a good Christmas movie. Maybe not for the family, I don't know. But, but anyway, you know, but we say, hey, didn't we say grace before meals? Didn't I donate to the church? Didn't I think that, yeah, prayer needed to be in school? Didn't I think that America needs to get back to its Christian values? Didn't I tear up when we sing the Star Spangled Banner at sporting events? That's what it would sound like. And what Jesus is looking for is not for you to do all these religious actions. He's looking for you to have an authentic, intimate relationship with him. That's what he desires. And out of that relationship with him comes the good deeds and the good works. But when we buy into this cultural lie that good people get to heaven, we put ourselves in the driver's seat, and then it really is being self-righteous. And the root of self-righteousness is saying, or at least believing, that our personal works can earn us salvation and earn us heaven. It's saying, hey, I'm going to do this. And so I, I think, I'm, you know what, that will get me into heaven. And the reality is, good works without Jesus aren't really good works. Let that sit in for a second. That we need Jesus in everything that we do, from feeding the homeless to being kind to the person that just cussed us out. Everything needs to be rooted in our relationship with Jesus so we can point people to Jesus. Now listen, do I think people should be good people? Absolutely. But out of this idea and our relationship with Jesus should come this outflow that people look at and say, that's different. That's not the world that we live in. Now, I'm just going to hit a cultural hot topic, and I'm not trying to politicize the pulpit, okay? But I think this is so important for us because it's a biblical issue. But here's an example of how this plays out in our life. That as believers... If what we say is true and we are following Jesus, we don't, we don't shift our points of view based on what culture says. We are firmly planted in what Scripture says. So here's an example. All right, and I know I'm opening up a whole can of worms by saying this, but hear me out. As a believer, as you look at Scripture, I believe in the sanctity and value of life. I would say personally, I'm pro-life. All right? Now, now hear me say this when I say this. That doesn't mean that I'm like, well, women, who cares? What over over here? But I believe in the value of life. But here's where many Christians who say and define themselves by being pro-life kind of skew the gospel for the outside world. We're one-sided. And this is what I mean. We say we're pro-life, but really, we're selective pro-life and saying we're pro-life about adoption, but everybody else, who cares about? So when I wake up this morning, I put this on Facebook, and I know I'm hitting on, I get a soapbox a little bit, but when I wake up this morning and I hear about a racist 
motivated hate crime in Buffalo, New York, and someone goes in and shoots people just really because they're black. We should stand up as believers for that too. If we're pro-life, it's not just infant life. It is all of life. And so we have to care. Like I've seen, I'm just being real. I have seen believers tell people who are Hispanic, go back to your country, you dumb Mexican. Well, first of all, I've come to find out they're from Guatemala, so that's offensive, okay? They're not Mexican, right? That's offensive. And two, why are you saying that? Or even I've heard people say, well, speak English. You're in America. It's so, it's so disgraceful. And so as believers, out of, out of an outflow, part of our tongue is part of this good work of us representing Jesus well and having value for all people, okay? I'll get off my soapbox, all right? And so I'm just saying, we can't just look at good works and say, hey, that's gonna earn us into heaven. It comes from a relationship. And out of that relationship is this outflow of these works. We see faith without works is dead, that our faith should produce good works in that. And, and so we have to do, we really have to be careful in this because if we make it about all the works, in my opinion, it leads to legalism. It is about a checklist of do-do-do, and we totally, I just said do-do, okay? Um, we have this checklist, all right? Don't tweet that. I'm like full of it. Huh? Time for Sunday nap, all right? But think about this. If we make it about this checklist, we totally miss the beauty of a relationship. If I make my marriage all about a checklist, I miss out on the beauty of my wife being my wife. And so it, it can't be about that. It has to be about relationship. Write this down. Following Jesus is not a demand of religious actions, but a demand of intimacy in relationship. It is all about the relationship with Jesus. All right, let me move on to our final point. Um, as most pastors do, I'm going to run over if I don't. If, if you look at this passage of scripture, the third point this morning is that people who have a relationship with Jesus go to heaven. Now, I know I've been saying that essentially, but think about this. In this context, we see that it's really these two points of, um, one, the people are begging, didn't we do this? It was all man-centered. Didn't we do this? We did this. We did this. We did this. And our perspective as believers really needs to shift from didn't we to didn't he. We are nobody without Jesus. And so we cannot say, didn't we do all this stuff? Look, look at me, God. Look at all this stuff. God does not care about all of these things that you bring on some spiritual resume. He, he cares about, do you have a relationship with Jesus as Lord and Savior? End of story. And so he cares about that. And really, if you want to get honest, when you look at this passage of Scripture, the only didn't he that really mattered was that they throw off all this religious action rhetoric, and he says, I do not know you. Depart from me. I do not know you. He said, it is about a relationship. And as he's speaking to this crowd on the hill, they knew the religious culture. They knew the rituals. They knew all the duties. They knew all those different things. And Christian or cultural Christianity oftentimes places value on all those things, and those things are important to them. But what should be the most important is our relationship with Jesus. So let me close by asking you this question. I think it'd be really easy for me to ask the question because it's cliche, especially during a quote invitation at church, to ask the question, Do you know Jesus? I think that's an easy question 
Or at least I, I would hope that for many of us, we're like, yeah, I know Jesus. Yeah. You know, he died on the cross. I, I, you know, especially in the South, it's pretty easy. But let me ask you another question that I hope sinks in that will be deeply rooted in your heart and mind this morning. The question on the table is not, do you know Jesus? The question on the table is, does Jesus know you? And not to be morbid, but if you were to die on your way to lunch this afternoon and you stand before God, is he going to say, come on in, I have a relationship with you? Or is he going to say, depart from me, I do not know you? Man, that puts it in perspective real quick, doesn't it? And it is all on this fact that us pursuing Jesus in this incredible, amazing relationship, it doesn't mean you have to be perfect. It doesn't mean follow all these rules and all these spiritual obligations and do's and don'ts. Those come out as an outflow of your relationship with them. But if you're here this morning, I just want to challenge you. We're about to sing a closing song. If you would honestly, honestly be transparent with yourself this morning and say, you know what? I don't know if Jesus would know me. I mean, I've talked to him a couple of times, but to be honest, Dustin, my relationship with him is non-existent. I spend more time with my family and friends and not really talking to God. I couldn't tell you the last time I talked to God or, or learned about him. And it's just cultural for me. I believe in him, but he doesn't really know me. Let today be that day where you take that step and say, he's going to know me now. He's going to know me now. And not for some weird like fire insurance from hell, but in an intimacy that you desire a relationship with him. I desire a relationship with my wife. I want our marriage to thrive. Do we have issues at times? Yeah. This weekend was one of them. You know, you have those things. You have those things in your life. But I pursue my relationship with her because I want intimacy with my wife. I pursue a relationship with my kids because I want them to love their dad, not out of obligation, but because they honestly love and value their relationship. Let our relationship with Jesus be like that. Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful that even though we do not deserve you whatsoever, that through your son, Jesus, we can have a relationship with you. That chasm of the sin and this nastiness that has separated us from you, that we can be drawn near and enter into a relationship because of that grace. You tell us in your word, it's a gift from you. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to be good. We just have to come to you and surrender our lives and, and acknowledge our sin and acknowledge you are the way of life. And so Father, let that be today for someone in this room, maybe many, that they would have the boldness to either speak to me, maybe come down front or speak afterwards and say, and I'm giving my life to Jesus. And for those of us who we have a relationship with Jesus and that relationship is really just hit or miss, God, give us the desire to seek that with you, not out of cultural Christianity or obligation, but as an opportunity to be incredibly relational, intimate with you, to live in such a way and a desire to see you in our lives. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Hey, let's stand. Let's close and worship and, and celebrate a God who does want a relationship with you so that you can point others to that same relationship.